0: Welcome to Prism Bible, where we learn the Bible so we can live the story. God has a part for each of us to play, and to understand our purpose, we need to grasp the big, beautiful story that's unfolding in history. Join us today as we dive into the message of the prophets. In the midst of devastation and exile, the prophets speak of the great hope of the nation and the world, a coming king who will set the world right again. You're listening to Prism Bible. Has God forgotten his promises? Those great big promises, and especially those to Abraham and David? Has he forgotten the seed that was promised to the very first woman? This one through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. The one who would rule on David's throne in an everlasting kingdom. Have all God's promises come to naught? Has God forgotten? This was the question surely on the mind of many in Israel as they were forcibly taken out of the land. The nation that God had brought out of Egyptian slavery with amazing miracles of deliverance, that nation had been decimated and defeated. Instead of completely driving out the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, they've instead been driven out of the land themselves. Instead of defeating the nations, they've been defeated by the nations it seems like all of God's promises have failed. And yet, lest we think that all of this has been outside of God's plan, we need to remember that it's somehow part of His plan. God is using all of these events, all this failure of His own chosen nation, to set a grand stage, to set up the context for the coming of one mentioned from the very beginning of the story, the seed of Eve, of Abraham, and of David. This man who will bless all the nations of the world, defeat his enemies, and rule over an everlasting kingdom. God hasn't forgotten his promises. They're simply being fulfilled in an unexpected way. God still has a future for the 12 tribes of Israel, because exile isn't the end. Instead, exile is a further means that God is using toward a more glorious end. An end with Israel's tribes reunited in the land of Canaan, under the banner of the promised king. The future is bright, even if the present is bleak. Now in the midst of the present judgment, God uses prophets to both explain his judgments upon the people Israel and express hope of the future to the people. God tells the people that they are being exiled because of their sins against God and their transgression of his law in the Sinai Covenant. Yet through these prophets, he graciously shows them that the judgment is not forever. Despite exile, the people can look forward to better days. Days even better than the past peak of the kingdom prosperity with David and Solomon. So as the nation travels to exile, we need to keep in mind the words of the prophets that form the bedrock of Israel's hope for tomorrow. A hope grounded in the very words of God. First we'll hear their description of the coming king. And then we'll hear of the national future for Israel. So first, descriptions of the coming king. As we have focused on the seed of Eve, of Abraham, and of David, we've necessarily focused on the humanity of the coming king. The promised king is a human king. Despite this fact, however, the prophets won't have us miss that he's more than just a man. The prophet Isaiah says this, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah says that the coming one will be born of a virgin, and will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Anticipating this king further, the prophet says For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from that time and forevermore. Here we see the prophet showing that the king who is coming will also be Mighty God. So he won't only be human— but he'll also be God, the God-man. It's this God-man who will rule on David's throne in Jerusalem. Through Isaiah, we come to see something odd as well, something hard to fit with what we already know about the coming king so far. This king is also called the servant of the Lord, and he will suffer immensely. Later in his book, Isaiah says this about the God-man. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. The coming king is also a sacrificial lamb a lamb of atonement that all people need to cover their sin. The coming king will somehow be killed, and yet he'll also come to rule. Isaiah says this next. After the anguish of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Somehow, This God-man will suffer for the sins or iniquities of the people, and he will die in the process. Yet he will also somehow see the light of life and be satisfied. How can one die for sins and yet see life and be satisfied? Well, the simple answer is resurrection. The God-man will be resurrected, enabling many to be accounted righteous through his suffering. The king will die and, the king will rule. In just three short passages from Isaiah, we can learn a lot about this future king. He will be born of a virgin. He will be called God with us. He will be called Mighty God and the Prince of Peace. He will govern his kingdom in peace and justice. And yet, he will be the servant of the Lord, who accomplishes righteousness through his own suffering. Now, maybe in our minds, we're starting to put together some of the context that God has been setting up in the Hebrew Bible so far. He's been giving descriptions of the coming one for the whole Bible, but He's set those descriptions in a particular context. Context that helps us answer questions like this How can people be counted righteous who are not? Well, so far, we know the answer to that question has to involve faith, the key to righteousness, and atonement to cover the sins of the people. Apparently, this coming king will accomplish the atonement and the righteousness. And without the context of the rest of the Hebrew Bible, we wouldn't have a frame of reference for atonement or righteousness being accounted because of one's faith. Another question might be, how can the coming king be God also? Well, through the story, we've had clues that God wants not to just be above his people, but also with his people. We know that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, and we know that he made his presence dwell in the tabernacle and in the temple. Is it a stretch to think that God could become man? Not if we're following the story. Another question is, how can we understand that the coming king will be resurrected? There's really only one viable biblical solution to someone dying and then ruling over an everlasting kingdom. And that solution is resurrection, which the Bible story helps us with too. It's significant that one of the most important prophets so far performs the first resurrection of the Bible, when Elijah raises the widow's son from the dead. This is just another example of a precedent set in the Hebrew Bible that's further exemplified in the coming king. These questions are just a taste of what's hinted at in the story so far. Context that demands resolution, promises that demand fulfillment, problems that must be solved. The story so far shows us that God doesn't show up as a human on the world stage with no resume. No, he comes having all the credibility of miraculous deliverance, the preview of ultimate atonement, the promises to Abraham and David, and a promised future for the world. The red carpet on which the coming king enters the world is the whole Hebrew Bible that testifies about His coming and His purposes in the world. The prophets, however, don't just speak of the coming king. They also speak about the future of Israel under the reign of the coming king. Isaiah says this about the coming servant of God. He says, It is not enough for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Here we see that the servant of the Lord will not only save Israel, but also save the nations of the world. Salvation will not just be deliverance back to the land for the tribes of Israel. It will also be a salvation involving the whole world. We can begin to hear the echoes of the Abrahamic covenant here where God will bless all the nations of the world through this coming king. Israel itself, though, has a specific future, and there are two prophecies that we should highlight. The first one is of monumental importance. God has a new covenant planned for Israel, a covenant in contrast to the law of the Sinai covenant. The prophet Jeremiah says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant they broke, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and inscribe it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each man teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. In days ahead, God is going to make a new covenant with the tribes of Israel. He's going to actually write his law on their hearts. He's going to somehow change them from the inside out so that they can follow God from the heart instead of trying to live up to the external code of over 600 laws that he gave them. The Sinai Covenant is going to be decommissioned in favor of a new and better covenant. We need to keep our eyes out for this as we move on in the Bible story. In days coming, we're looking forward to a new covenant. Finally, this same prophet gives an expectation of the near future for Israel, too. A future that they can count on in the short run, as they look forward to the fulfillment of all the amazing promises that God's given through the prophets so far. Though the kingdom of Judah heads to Babylon in exile, they yet have a hope for the future. Listen to this time frame that the prophet communicates. This is what the Lord says. When Babylon's 70 years are complete, I will attend to you and confirm my promise to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Though Babylon has defeated the kingdom of Judah, here we see the time frame of Judah's exile in Babylon. It's going to be 70 years until a remnant of the people returns to the land. God gives them hope, and he has a future for them. Through the prophets, we discover that God hasn't forgotten his promises. Sin hasn't won and God hasn't been defeated. God has plans for the nation yet to be accomplished, plans for prosperity and not for harm, to give you a future and a hope. The plot of the Bible isn't over. Instead, it's thickening. God's promises are coming to the brim and beginning to spill over. He's preparing Israel and the world for something big. Something as monumental as God becoming man. Join us next time as we explore the time of the exile. Judah is in Babylon, but God is still working to bring the kingdoms of the world to their knees before His everlasting King. Don't forget to download the Prism Bible app, our mobile app to help you learn the Bible. In addition to this podcast content, we have Bible readings, summaries, and quiz questions on the app to help you get the most out of every lesson. Prism Bible is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping you learn the Bible.